Thank you, Sherbert Underground, and welcome back for another week of our unique blend of fantasy baseball enlightenment on Rotorob Fantasy Baseball Weekly Podcast, heard every Thursday evening at 9 p.m. EST on Blog Talk Radio. Well, we're almost into late June now, which means that two weeks tomorrow marks the 75th anniversary of Lou Gehrig's farewell speech, and the Yanks have a ceremony planned to honor this occasion on July 2nd. This week, the Braves have shifted rookie Tommy Listella into the leadoff slot. Chris Bryant has been promoted to AAA, now just a step away from helping the Cubs. And KC rhymed off 10 straight wins to move into first place in the AL Central. We're going to cover some of these stories and many more over the next hour or so, so pull up a beanbag chair and get comfy. I, of course, am Roto Rob, and my guest this week is Joel Hennard, head honcho over at the Fantasy Insiders, and back for a second time on the show, having last appeared in May. Welcome back, Joel. How are you this evening? Roto Rob, I'm fantastic. How are you? Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Well, I'll tell you, Joel, I'm not doing as well as Jose Abreu, who reached 20 homers in 58 career games last night. You know what? That makes the third fastest ever. Quick trivia. Do you know the only two players to do it quicker? Oh, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. and uh, I have no idea. It's a good question, eh? Yeah, it's a uh, good question. Wally Berger is the fastest ever to do it in 51 games, and the second fastest is probably less of a surprise with Mark McGuire, of course, who had that huge rookie year, uh, oh, who yeah. did it in 56 That's... games. But Jose Abreu is quickly stamping himself into the record book and definitely delivering on that huge contract that had a lot of people raising their eyebrows uh, in the uh, off season when the White Sox spent all that money on him. Now, I want to remind you the chat room and phone lines are open. Now, right now, it is just me in the chat room. Uh, hopefully, some people will join us, maybe even Joel. And guests, feel free to call in at 347-826-7358. Uh, Jimmy from New Jersey, that does not include you. Now, we want to talk about what's going on at the site before we get into uh, this week's news. Uh, by the site, of course, I mean RotoRob.com. On the baseball side of things, every month... I'm sorry? I didn't say anything, Robert. I think it skipped. Whoa, I just heard some really demonic voices in the background. That was really scary. Holy fucking <laughs> exorcist. Whoa. Okay, every Monday, Michael rates diamond stocks, uh, highlighting players on the rise and those falling. This week, it was Bobby Abreu on the rise, while Sergio Romo's stock is taking a hit. Of course, every Sunday we have the Wire Troll written by Tim McLeod. This week heralding the arrival of Gregory Polanco. And the final part of our top 65 prospects I'm working on, just a few more profiles to wrap up in the top 10, shall be released. I apologize once again for the delay there. But now that uh, basketball and hockey are over, in theory I have more time. In theory. Uh, speaking of basketball, on Tuesday... NBA editor Bob Raymond checked in with our 2014 NBA mock draft. So if you haven't checked that out, do so. And J.R. Anderson is working on an advanced stat piece uh, that will try to identify some potential breakouts and bargains for next season. Look for that to be coming early next week. On the football side of things, yesterday we wrapped up our immense breakdown of the draft with... Uh, a look at all the tight ends picked. That was, of course, done by NFL editor Josh Johnson. Next up, we will launch into the 2014 roto NFL Draft Kit. It never ends. And, of course, the roto Fantasy Football Weekly Podcast 
which is, is still on hiatus uh, until the first week of July. That is normally heard every Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. EST on Blog Talk Radio, also run, of course, by Josh and his team of NFL writers, including Nick Wagner, Bonnie Hariri, and Michael Seff. Uh, NHL today, uh, excuse me, not yet today, later tonight, as I was just working on it before we went on the air, and I haven't finished yet, we will release part three of our mock NHL draft analysis by Dakota Case. This series is so in-depth, so enlightening for prospect towns. You really got to check it out. Part four, in fact, is already written and just being edited. I was working on that earlier as well. And NHL editor Chris Wassell has made a cameo appearance in the summer. He's written an article about Ranger defenseman Dan Girardi and his fantasy value going forward. Uh, that article, also nearly ready to rock. I was editing that as well earlier this evening, so look for plenty of hockey content over the next few days. Video games, nothing this week, but watch for more reviews coming soon. Uh, finally, we are just eight articles shy of 3,750 in the site's history, so should hit that milestone next weekend, if not earlier. And do not forget to subscribe to our RSS feed so you can be instantly notified when new content is posted. We need just 16 more subscribers to reach 200, so come and join the party. Okay, top story this week, Joel. Last night, Clayton Kershaw tossed his first career no-hitter and truly was one of the most magnificent pitching performances in the history of the game. I mean, hyperbole aside, it truly was. I wish, I wish I would have stayed awake. I'll actually be honest with our listeners. I had to watch it today in the studio. When I got home from work at 3 o'clock, I loaded it up and made sure that I watched you know, at least 90% of his pitches. It was phenomenal. But I was the guy that went to bed last night, and when I got up at 4 o'clock this morning and looked at my phone, all I did was put my chin in my chest. Um, you wake up at 4 in the morning? Yeah. Is that normal? Yeah, it's normal. <laughs> well, so no wonder you went to bed. I mean, you have to sleep, right? Unless you're one of those freaks that goes by like two hours of sleep a night, then obviously you did have to go to bed because that was a West Coast game, right? So, Yeah, usually about five hours. I'm good on five hours during the baseball season. I catch up during the football season a lot. Uh, I like those naps on Sunday afternoon. I can handle that. But yeah. usually I watch the West Coast games, Rob. I do. Wow. Uh, that's that's, a, that's quite a little bit of sleep. Uh, Kershaw, of course, began the season on the DL and allowing Paul Mahone to stick in the rotation, a story we covered extensively last month. But um, this was truly something. As the Dodgers ace, as I mentioned, it was his first career no-hitter. A career-high 15 strikeouts in the same game. No walks. Yeah. This was the second-highest nine-inning game score in MLB history. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask, but I assume you know who the best ever was? Ooh, no, I don't. Really? Okay, because it was in a lot of stories today, so I figured you might care to venture a guess. The best ever nine-inning game score. No. No. I'll give you a hint. It wasn't a no-hitter. It was a one-hitter, but it involved 20 strikeouts. Oh, Roger Clemens. No, uh, Roger Clemens did not have a one-year. Yes, Kerry Wood. That's exactly right. Kerry Wood. Forgot about Uh, Mr. Wood. The best ever nine-inning score, but I mean only by a couple points. Uh, Of course, since he did give up a hit, but the 20 Ks, I guess, trumped um, 
Kershaw's 15. Really, he was only a Hanley Ramirez error shy of a perfect game. Wow. I don't even know where to start with this. I do. Well, let's start with him and Beckett, the only two no-hitters for this season, both by Dodgers, and they were in Mm -hmm. the shortest amount of span of time, Rob, within 24 days of each other. That was the shortest amount of time in MLB history that a no-hitter on the same team has been thrown. So that tells you how good this pitching staff is because they have already went to Zach Greinke, I heard, and said, you're up, buddy. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know what? I mean, Dodger no-hitters is no new thing. That's 22 in their history, more than anyone in big league history. So, like, if there's a team that's going to do it, it's going to be the Dodgers, especially with the current incarnation, the talent that they have on this team. There's no doubt. Do you realize realize that they only have 12 since they moved to L.A.? Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, since Koufax, of course, accounted for, I guess, uh, I guess his first six were probably in Brooklyn and maybe the last one was in L.A. I don't know. Yeah, probably. Uh, I'm not sure. I get, wow. Only 12. Well, it's still over half uh, of the 22 right. that they have. Um, and I guess two this year. It's just it's pretty damn impressive when you think about it. But the thing that jumped out at me here, the 15Ks, that's the third most ever in a no-hitter. Yet, you look at the pitch count, 107 pitches. I mean, as you know, if you strike out a lot, you throw a lot of pitches because you go, you're going deep in the count, as opposed to getting some first, second pitch outs on ground balls or fly balls or what have you. If you're going to strike people out, you're going to go fairly deep in the count. 107 pitches for a complete game with 15 Ks is really, really impressive. Like, it's very economical. Yeah, he was like 88 through eight innings, and it was just beautiful. I mean, it was just perfect. I mean, it was a perfect game besides the blemish from Hanley Ramirez. Um, mm-hmm. He kept throwing the ball hard. He used all of his pitches from what I saw on video, and, and he was just quite impressive. I mean, his delivery was just the best pitching performance in baseball history. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he retired the first 18, 10 of them by strikeouts. I'm glad that it, the Ramirez era wasn't, say, in the 8th or ninth when it would have been magnified a little bit more. But he struck out 15 of the 28 he faced. Um, and if he was nervous at all, it was not showing. It only took him six pitches to get through the ninth. So, like, yeah. you know, when, when, he is, when everyone, including himself, is well aware of the history that's being made, and you're just thinking, get through this, get through this, he is just cru- still on cruise control. That blows me away right there, the six pitches and the ninth. Um, anything else you want to add about this, this, this performance? Did you, happen to I see talk- celebration? Did you happen to see the oh. celebration with him and his wife? Oh, yes. I saw the celebration. I was going to talk about that a little bit more um, in a minute or two. Um, it, it, was, it was quite moving. I mean, it was, it was yeah. just... the. It, that was like a World Series-type celebration, you know? Like, for, for an individual game that really, in grand scheme of things, means nothing, it was an, a very unbelievable um, celebration. One of the things I was going to mention about the celebration, um, I don't know if you happen to notice the article that Baseball Prospectus had up today. Very cool thing. They showed the final out as recorded and then uploaded to YouTube by six different fans sitting in various parts of the park. What was really fascinating about this was the perspective that everyone, you know, from the perspective, everyone walks around recording life from their own perspective these days, right? And it, 
but it's not run through a post-production editing process or anything. It's just raw reality on the cell phone. Um, so I thought what they did was trade cool, and we're checking out because you see the final pitch from all these different angles, and the reaction, the crowd reaction, like, shit, they're trying to hold the camera steady. Of course, it's shaking because everyone's going mad, and, like, you really feel the electricity being part of the crowd. I love how they did that without editing at all, and, you know, just, just put it up there. Just threw a bunch of YouTube videos up and let it speak for itself. Really well done. Um, so, Joel, what about uh, Kershaw's season in general? Of course, as I mentioned, he started the year on the DL, got off to a slow start, for him. But he is now through 10 starts, and his whip is now identical to last year. The difference, of course, is that his ERA is almost seven-tenths of a run higher. However, you look at his FIP, and it's 1.60. and <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I guess he's been victimized by a BAPID much higher than usual, because there's nothing wrong with his walk rate. There's nothing wrong with his home run rate. You know, in the raw numbers, there's nothing that jumps out at me that says his ERA should be higher this year, right? No, not at all. I mean, I still think he's the best pitcher in baseball. Um, I know Tanaka's having a good season, but I still think Clayton Kershaw, hands down, would be the number one pitcher off the board right now if we redrafted today. I, I can't argue with it at all on that. I mean, just when you think, like what he did last year was so historic, it's really hard to imagine him topping it especially given his slow start this year, the injury and a back, of course, always a concern because it can flare up at any time. But really, when you look at it, and I know it's fresh in our minds what he did last night, he is bettering what he did last year. And that's, I can't wrap my head around that. You know what I mean? No, it's, it, it's mind-blowing when you see a pitcher in that kind of mode and that kind of flow and just continuing to work his dominance, it's just magical, especially for us baseball fans that are just ecstatic about a normal game. If it would have been a one- or two-hitter and he would have done this, it would have been still, we would have still have talked about it today. Being a no-hitter, it makes it even more incredible. Yeah, I mean, it kind of brings up the question, Joel. Like One of the things, I don't know if I talked about this last year perhaps, but given Kershaw's historic performance last year, and you look at his age and you look at the amount of innings he's pitched and you, and you look at his trajectory and think, well, in theory, he can still get better given that he's only 26. But you got to think in a keeper league, the temptation to flip him at that time, you know what I mean? Because in a keeper league, you try to I'm maximize in, your assets, you know? I'm in, the, I'm in that situation. I'm in it right now. I own him in a dynasty format along with Hanley Ramirez. So both of those guys, and we're sitting in seventh place out of 14 with our good right. friend Tim McLeod in this league. I mean, is there any opportunity for you to make up the difference this year? Or are you really no, kind of waiting? So yeah, we're old. That is an ideal, it's an ideal scenario right now where you can basically, you've got six teams above you or seven teams above you, whatever, that you can just basically say, all right, let the bidding begin, gentlemen. I'm now ta- And you know, it's not like you have to move him. You can simply put him on the block and see what comes back your way, right? If you don't like him, you, if you don't like any of the offers, you can just yank it off the table. But it would, it would behoove you to find out what he's worth in a keeper league at this point. You're probably in an ideal scenario, right? Oh, yeah. We've been in discussions with many teams for the last five days. I think my okay. email went off more this weekend than any other time throughout 
this dynasty format in the last five years. Wow. So, yeah, I'm, I'm facing a similar scenario right now in my keeper league with Adrian Beltre and some of, the, some of my other players. Um, but, you know, what's interesting for you, like, <clears throat> you're in one of those unique situations. To me, in a keeper league, when you're not going to win it, I love the, the idea of the one step forward, two steps, one step back, two step forwards next year kind of move where, yeah. you know, yeah, I'm going to take a step back this year it actually can benefit me and my league because we have a lottery system. So the closer, I, further I am to the basement, the more chances I have of getting the number one pick in our lottery. And then one of those two-step forward scenarios where uh, try to get a player who's having a down year or is injured or something that will be much more valuable in 2015. But you can hold, you can hold like the leaders over the, over a, you know, like just. I can't even imagine the kind of booty you can get from Kershaw right now. As what, we would say here in Indiana, we want everything in the house and the kitchen sink. Yeah. I mean, could you discuss some of the offers, or is it ongoing so you don't want to reveal? Uh, it's ongoing, so I don't want to reveal. I, I don't want right. to butcher that okay. thing right now. Uh, no, no, no problem, no problem. Books, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from, but it, it would make some fascinating topics. Um, like, just thinking about the kind of package that would put them together. Perhaps we will have to reserve that till after you make your move or don't make your move. But uh, okay. to hear some of the offers that are on the table, I'd be very interested because that would be something I think would be valuable for any Clayton Kershaw owners out there right now thinking the same thing. Should I flip him now? Could he possibly be worth more than he is at this very precise moment? You know. Um, so, still in the National League, we had uh, last week on the show. I was covering the Rocky Brave game in our box score section, and I talked about how fiery a game that was. A lot of people kicked out of the game. A lot of pitches thrown out. A lot of testiness going on, and uh, we had a fallout as a result this week where Nick Massett was suspended for three games, uh, suspension that he began serving on Tuesday. And David Carpenter of the Braves was fined an undisclosed amount. Nick Massett also received a fine an undisclosed amount. Um, <clears throat> the major reason I wanted to bring this story up was that I looked at it as an opportunity to talk about Nick Massett, who really has disappeared off the baseball scene for two years. But two years back was a very important, or and several years back, was a very, for, for many years, was a very important setup man for the Reds and actually had a fair amount of fantasy value at the time, and it's nice to see him back in the game. Um, first of all, Joel, what did you, did you, I don't know if you got a chance to watch that Rocky Brave game last week and see the uh, fireworks. I did, yes. Okay. Um, these two uh, teams don't like each other. I don't, I don't think they like each other at all. It's weird. There's no, there's no much history there. I know, but you know? there's some players, you know, you do something, there's those unwritten rules, you know. And some, some coaches follow a little bit stricter than others. Some players use it to their advantage to amp up their teams, and some other teams don't like that too much. I don't think the Braves care for that, those antics too much. Hmm. So this is a Walt Weiss kind of uh, driven the rivalry then, I guess. I think so. Yeah. That's my opinion on it. I, I, I think Weiss is a 
Weiss is a uh, greedy type of guy. He's he's fiery. Yes. He's uh, always amped up in the locker room. I had a chance to interview him last year, and he was uh, one of the funnest interviews that I had at the winter meetings. Oh yeah, yeah. Real character he was in him. Little character in him. Yes. Did I lose Rob? Well, I hope I didn't lose Rob. It's his show. Well, we were talking about Nick Mathis and the suspension, and uh, David Carpenter was fine, undisclosed amount. You know, they threw at the catcher, Evan Gaddis, on Thursday. We've talked about this a lot on on our show, Rob, that – we want Major League Baseball to start finding these guys for coming out of the, the dugout. What are your, th- you know, do you have any thoughts on that? Do you have any, any, any ideas on what Major League Baseball should do with players that leave the bench, like in football and in, in basketball? Um, and I'm really not sure if players leave the bench in hockey. I've never really paid attention that much during a fight in hockey, um, Rob. But, you know, we, we look at, fighting in baseball and it, it's something that happens every day it's an unwritten rule players get thrown at and, you know you look at you know Corey Dickerson in the same game you know which showed several objections like you mentioned Walt Weiss is one of those objections he got thrown at by um, David Carpenter of the Braves it's not a fun thing to see um, it, it can definitely distract from the normal game which we like to watch uh, it, it definitely brings up a good story for us to talk about, but is it really good for the game? I have to say no. I would have to say I'm not a big fan of bench-clearing brawls and, and taking things into your own hands. Let Major League Baseball, let the professionals handle finding players and, and suspending players. Don't leave the bench. Don't throw at somebody's head. Don't try to injure somebody. And I guess that's just my opinion on the – the way that it's being handled right now and with the Braves in Atlanta, we'll get to see them one more time face each other, and we'll get to see, Rob, if anything happens. Uh, I'm back now. I apologize for the little technical glitch there. Uh, you know, what's funny thing is I have a new router that's supposed to be awesome, and it's kicked me off last <laughs> week and this week, too. I think I might have to hardwire and plug in directly during shows just to avoid uh, this scenario in the, in the future. I don't know why that yeah, would do that. I will give, At any rate, I just... I will, Sorry? I will give you that suggestion. Yes, hardwire. Hard, hard line in. And we, we can talk about that after the show. I can help you with that. Oh, well, I mean, it's simply a matter of a little cable from my laptop to my router. I don't think it's <laughs> more than that, would it be? Okay, cool. Well, I, some people don't know how to do that, and I won't tell you any names oh. until after the show. No, I'm not. A, don't worry. I'm not a technophobe. <laughs> and I, I don't need I don't need. To, and I don't need the names because I'm sure I know exactly what you're talking about. But um, I was listening to what you were saying for a minute there as I got back on the air, and you're not a fan of bench clearing brawls. It made me wonder if you like hockey at all, Joel. See, that was one of my questions. Uh, do they leave the bench in hockey? I understand the well, they used to. Hey, that's great. Okay. And then they started getting fined. Is that correct? Oh, not just fined. I mean – Back in the day, in the 70s, it was a free-for-all. Bench flame brawls were very common. You almost never see them anymore. It's very rare, very rare. You'll see like a Donnie Brook involving everyone on the ice at any given time. 
all oh, yeah. squaring off. That's understandable. But to, to hey, leave the bench is a big yeah. no-no. But, of course, in baseball, well, I, you've only got one player on the field. What is that one player going to take on nine players? You know what I mean? Okay, guy gets hit by a pitch, goes at the pitcher. The pitcher's there. The catcher's there. The first baseman's there. The second baseman's there. Boy, this is a fair fight. You know what I mean? That's, it's, it's, so it's a different dynamic than hockey where you've got six on six, right? Well, I don't think the second baseman, the first baseman, and the catcher should do anything. I think it should be between, if it's going to well, happen at all, the pitcher and the catcher should just get on in okay. it and have at it. I'm going to have a problem with that, Joel, if, if the catcher does not run out there and save my pitcher's ass. Not because my pitcher can't handle himself, but I do not want a Zach Greinke-type situation going on. Where I lose some guy, somebody I'm paying $20 million a year to, to a freaking collarbone injury because of Carlos freaking Quentin or whatever. You know, too valuable a commodity for him. A catcher is big enough guy that you know, he's wearing his equipment. I, his job is to protect the, the pitcher. He better get off his ass and tackle that guy before he gets to the pitcher. And I don't care if he gets ejected because he's the third man in a fight or whatever, you know. And it's not about the pitcher solving it or leaving it up to the pitcher to solve his own battles. Because, you know, men will be men and that's fine, but I just don't want that pitcher thrown with his pitching hand. You know, I don't want him swinging with his right hand, you know. Yeah, I agree with you. I do. Yes. So... It's a tough call. But leaving the bench? But leaving the bench? How about leaving the bullpen? Really? The bullpen? Well, uh, I, I understand. <laughs> We've got a long way to go to run. I mean, it depends on the situation, right? Because some bullpens, it's pretty easy to join the fray. Others, you know, you climb down a ladder and run it through a wall. and Yeah, it can be a little difficult. Um uh, I want to tell him, talk about Nick Massett for a minute, though, because this is what interests me. Now, as I mentioned a couple of years ago, very important setup man for the Reds. Pitched 241 games for Cincy between 2008 and 2011. And, in fact, we ranked him 45th among relief pitchers heading into the 2012 season. But then, as it turns out, he winds up missing 2012 and 2013 with injuries. I am very happy to see him finally back in the game. Oh, I'm very happy. As a Reds guy, as a Reds fan, being close to the Cincinnati team, it's great to see Nick back in full effect. It is wonderful. Um, with those injuries, they decided to go with Araldus Chapman. I don't think that would have happened if Nick wouldn't have got hurt. I think that they would have tried to form Chapman as a starter as much as they possibly could if Nick Massett stayed healthy. Rob, what are your thoughts? I think that is a very good point, and I was long of the belief that Chapman did not have the endurance to be a starting pitcher, and that he was always best served being a reliever. I feel like since he didn't make as big a mistake as Texas made with Neftali Feliz, you know, because, because of course he did wind up getting injured, but like these false starts that Chapman kept having as a starter told me over and over again, look, the guy has found his niche. Let him be a reliever. I know you want to maximize his value and get 200 innings out of him than 60 innings. I'm all for maximizing value. But all things being equal, it's pretty clear that with his durability issues, and every time that, you know, in spring training when they try to stretch him out, sore arm and this and that, sore forearm, hello, it doesn't take a rocket science to realize, a rocket scientist rather, to realize that he is best 
served being a reliever. So um, they made the right move there. Because that could have been Chapman missing a couple of years, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I saw Chapman at his third start at Louisville and then his fourth start here in Indianapolis with Louisville. And I said to our good friend Will Carroll, this guy's not a starter at all. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then they called him up to be a starter, and we all knew within we knew within two starts this guy was going to be a reliever. I said it right off the bat. There's no way. I agree. I, I Even when he was a prospect, I was saying the same thing that the durability issues. He just best served being a closer. But it just bore itself out over multiple attempts. And every now and then you keep hearing Cincinnati suggest it. Like someone will float the rumor in spring training, the Reds are going to try to just stretch Chapman out into a starter this year. Why do you keep doing this? Why? Oh, why? I mean, seriously, this guy's got a chance to be the, one of the best relievers in the history of the game. His numbers are video game like crazy. Let him be. You know, let him be. You're, you're finally starting to develop some starters in the minors, so you're not as desperate anymore. You know, you got you got Singrani, you got Stevenson on the way, you got some you got some nice young arms in the pipeline. You know, what are, what are you thinking? I don't know. I'll tell you. Uh, at any rate, I'm very happy that uh, the fact that Massett is back with the Rockies, the fact that he's pitched 20 games this year, I think, is a story in and of itself. Uh, at 1.50, his whip is slightly better than it was in 2011, believe it or not. But his ERA has risen to four, worst since he became an NL pitcher at the end of 2008. Obviously, no longer a fantasy asset. Um, no. And he said he was. He said he was surprised he was ejected from the game. It's the first time he's ever been ejected. I don't know why. I mean, if he was paying attention to these, you know, what was going on, it shouldn't have been a shock. But <laughs> he. Genuinely seemed surprised. I guess he was kind of lost in his own little moment there. But uh, do you think Massey could ever make it back to where he was? He's only 32. His K rate's up this year. I, I think it would be nice to see him work his way back into fantasy prominence after injuries kind of derailed his career. I guess there's a chance, but you think it could happen? No, he's just a baseball player now. He's just going to go out there yeah. and pitch for the Rockies. Yeah, he's, he's going to make his dollars. He's going to enjoy it. He's not going to be a fantasy asset for anyone whatsoever anytime soon. 32 is an old age in, in baseball, not for pitchers, not for relievers, but it's still he, he's an old 32 with those injuries. Yeah, I guess you're right. It's a shame because, I mean, not that he was on a trajectory for stardom, but he looked like he was going to be one of the NL's better setup men for years to come. Yeah, he had set up for promise. Mm. Well, speaking of one of the best, let's talk about the story of the week, of course, uh, Tony Gwynn, who passed away on Monday at the age of 54, Mr. Padre. Um, let's talk about, share some personal memories of Tony Gwynn and uh, talk about his immense legacy that he leaves behind, Joel. What do you personally remember? Like, did you are you old enough to watch Gwyn play when you grew up? Oh yeah, I'm gonna be 40 next year, so he's right in my okay. wheelhouse. Okay, great. So you so, basically saw his entire career then. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, I started watching baseball okay. in '81. I was six. 
Yeah, and he came up in 82 and basically was was there for good by 83. Yeah, pretty much. And he was a phenomenal hitter. He destroyed baseballs left and right. I mean, he everyone thought of him as just a hitter. We always have to remember that this guy was really, really fast as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a lot of speed mm-hmm. in his game. He could play the outfield. He just wasn't a hitter. Um, I met him five years ago here in Indianapolis at a Indianapolis Pacers game. He's a season ticket holder, actually, or was a season ticket holder of really? the Pacers. Yeah, um, he actually has a house here about five blocks from where I live in Fishers, Indiana. Um, he's lived What's here since 1993. He's lived here since 1993. He uh, accompanied his wife, Alicia, and her church group here to Indianapolis. They had a great time. And instead of sitting in his hotel room, Rob, they decided to tour the city. And he decided that this is somewhere that he wanted to live. So he bought a house. And they split their time between California and Fishers, Indiana, throughout the years that he retired from baseball in 2001. Huh. Well, and of course, he coached San Diego State for many years. Yeah. But when this offseason, he was here. He supported our local huh. teams like the women's NBA, the Indiana Fever. He was one of the biggest pushers in the inaugural season for season ticket holders. He tried to get everybody out to support our team, which we have now won a women's NBA championship with a little help from Tony Gwynn. So it's kind of surprising that we get to bring his name to basketball here in Indiana as well. Yeah, that is a, that is a stretch of sports and of location because, of course, he's so synonymous with San Diego. Uh, yeah. I mean, Mr. Padre, thought he would have lived, for God's sakes. Who would have thought he lived in Indiana? No kidding. To me, uh, of course, I got to see his entire career, and he's just a man that came to the park every day just so prepared to do his thing. Like, he's just so knowledgeable. Like, he, to me, there, there are a few players who are encyclopedic when their knowledge of other pitchers, of pitchers and, and how to exploit the weaknesses. Like, to me, Ted Williams was one of the great students of the game. And he bore that out in his career. And Tony Gwynn was a man like that in many ways. Just so prepared to do his job every single day, which was essentially pounding the 5.5 hole over and over and over again. Just finding that hole and exploiting it. And his legacy lives on in his son, although Tony Jr., of course, he never quite achieved what his dad did, and never will, naturally. But over a 20-year career, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. 2,440 games, 3,141 hits, 85 triples, 135 homers, 790 walks to 434 strikeouts. That number jumps out at me from a batting eye perspective. Mind-blowing. As you mentioned, the speed, yes, 319 steals, caught 125 times. Lifetime 338 hitter. Surprisingly... When I was looking at his numbers, Joel, 459 slugging was higher than it was, I thought it was going to be. You know? That's a pretty decent slugging percentage. Pretty decent. That's amazing. I mean, for what well, we're I mean, seeing it, now, it, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. For, for guys so known as a singles hitter, you know what I mean? Right. That's, that's not bad, 459. That's pretty damn good. You know, he didn't start playing baseball until his sophomore season of college. He actually was, he went to San Diego 
yeah. date to play basketball, and he was drafted by the Clippers and the Padres on the same day. That just tells you well, how much talent right this guy has. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I think he, he definitely made the right choice. Uh, I mean, it's not it's not Dave Windle, but it's still pretty goddamn impressive to be drafted in two sports. Never mind one, but there's no yeah. doubt that he made the right career decision. Uh, it's unfortunate that he only made the playoffs three times. That kind of um, negated his ability to an extent of the national stage. Uh, of you know, like when you think about Derek Jeter's career, and you think about Tony Gwynn's career. Um, not dissimilar players, I mean, different positions, of course, but mostly singles hitter with, with good speed, and Jeter had a little bit more power in his A&A, but not much. But, I mean, Jeter is, of course, so faded because of all the World Series rings, whereas Tony Gwynn's a Hall of Famer, don't get me wrong, everybody knows who Tony Gwynn is, but you know what I mean? Like, playing on the West Coast where you don't get as much attention, and just those three playoff runs when people are all paying attention, when the lights are bright and everyone's paying attention, it's, it is unfortunate. Um, he played the only two, only, only two World Series appearances that the Padres ever had were mm-hmm. with Tony Gwynn. Yep. Um, you're, you're his numbers exactly. in the playoffs were not great for him. 27 games, no. 306 average. More strikeouts than walks. 11 runs, 11 RBIs, the one homer off the facade of Yankee Stadium, which was quite a shot. Uh, but we're talking about a 15-time All-Star, five gold gloves, seven silver sluggers, eight batting titles. The 1999 Rob, I'm going to okay. stop you there. Five gold gloves. Five. No one remembers him for his defense. That's incredible. Yeah. It is incredible. I mean, it's it's mind-blowing that he had won five gold gloves because 3,141 hits and a a career batting average of 338. All right, Hall of Famer right now. Yeah. I mean, you don't – we put it in the perspective of five gold gloves. And and some of the catches that he made later in his career when he was putting on some weight were still phenomenal. He might have won more gold gloves had, um, around that time, Andrew Jones appeared in the National League and Jim Edmonds been traded to the National League, who became, of course, perennial gold glovers for years and years and had a lock on two of the three outfield spots, right? It's, exactly. it's possible he could have won more. But those guys really grabbed a hold of the gold gloves and ran with them. But uh, anyhow, the Padres are going to, uh, one week from tonight, uh, they're going to hold an open tribute to Gwyn at Petco Park, which will probably be very, very touching. And if any of our listeners are in the San Diego, San Diego area and are attending that, we would definitely love to hear from you uh, after the fact to get your take on uh, that event and how how it all went down. Um, um, you mentioned the follow-up. Up. Go ahead. I'm sorry? Oh, you going to talk about San Diego. Sorry, Rob. <laughs> if you want to follow ahead, someone who's really close to the Padres and uh, probably going to be at that event is uh, Jeff Young from Baseball Perspective knew, is at Jeff Young. Yeah. So he, I knew you were going to say Jeff Young. As soon as you said you want to follow someone and I was thinking Padres, immediately my mind <laughs> went to Jeff Young. No, because everyone knows I Jeff Young is, is the 
yeah, he's a good guy. I follow him on Twitter, and if I ever have Padre questions, uh, I throw it at him. Um, definitely. He has been duck snorts, right? Yeah, duck snorts. Yeah, he, that, that's one of the original, original blogs way back in the day when nobody had blogs. Uh, he goes way, way back. So good call there. Way back. It was one of my first interviews uh, ever. Was interviewing Jeff Young. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Great guy. Yeah. Uh, I actually met him last year for the first time out at that Arizona Fall League Baseball HQ event. It was fantastic. He's a great guy. Yeah. I've never met him. I've just, you know, interacted with him on social media or what have you. Um, just, it's a small community. Like, as big as it, it is. is, the bloggers <laughs> all know each other from way back in the day, you know what I mean? Like, I've had opportunities to interact with bloggers for virtually every team in one shape, one form or another, either acquiring content from them, asking them questions, doing a roundtable with them, having them as a guest on a show, uh, sending them a link that I thought they'd be interested to post or, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's a small world, but it's a great community. I love this community. Um, These are some of my great always. friends. Absolutely. And you know what I love about the fantasy community? Okay, for instance, we run competing sites. But, I mean, you know, I'll have you on my show and you can talk about how great your site is. or vice versa. You know what I mean? There's no, like, cutthroat kind of bullshit going on where it's like, I can't have a competitor on my show. I generally like to stick to my Rotorob staffers and give them first crack at being the guest, right? But, I mean, you know, every sure. now and then, it's nice to have other people on the show. And it's a, it's a camaraderie. We're like, I saw that you tweeted earlier, you're going to be on my show, you're pumping my thing, and I'm pumping your, your site. And it's, there's just, there's a real collegial spirit to the community. And, you know, I've been in this industry, writing in this industry for a very long time now, worked on a lot of different sites, and I found that, generally speaking, very few people have really kind of burned a bridge with me, you know. Uh, almost everyone in this community is, like, really, really great, so... Anyhow, yeah, I want to finish I talking about Tony Gwynn because yeah. you know that's the real story here. I, we totally <laughs> we can you know the fantasy industry is great, but Tony Gwynn deserves our 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 love tonight. Um, Petco Park, located in 19 Tony Gwynn Way, of course, his uniform number. I, I think that's just great. Uh, but we're talking about his power. His career ISO was just 120. So, I mean, 2,378 singles and 3,141 hits. That's why that 459 slugging surprised me a little and seemed a little high. But uh, I want to ask you, Joel, uh, of course, he was just 54 when he died of oral cancer. Were you aware how sick Tony Gwynn was? I was, actually. Yeah. Um, being in the industry and being close to the MLB staffers that I am and, and some sources, um, there, there had been some rumors going around that he hadn't been feeling well. There had been some guys that had been reaching out to him, and, and he, he said, you know, I, I just want to be with my family. I, I'm, I'm doing okay. And the next thing you know that he was hospitalized and he um, had passed away. And we all got the news about the same time through the AP on Monday afternoon, or Sunday, Monday afternoon it was, I think. And, uh, yeah, it was very sad, but we really weren't aware that he was going through so much pain. 
it did seem to kind of sneak up on everyone. It was suddenly just it's like, what? Tony Gwynn I mean, we all knew that We all knew that he was going through treatment. We all knew that he had some, you know, some illness going on. Uh, but no one knew that it was this serious. Yeah. Well, he had that sugary, sweet left-handed swing that we'll remember forever. But one thing I wanted to ask you, Joel. Now, forget about baseball. In the history of San Diego sports in general, has there ever been a more important figure than Tony Gwynn? And don't say Jeff Young. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I won't say Jeff Young. No, I, and I'm sitting just scratching my head. I'm, I'm trying to think. Yeah. No, there's, there's, yeah. there's not. Like, no, there's not. Dan Fouts. Dan Fouts Dan comes Fouts closest, what I, perhaps. Uh, yeah. I mean... Char- junior sale possibly like the, these are the only people you can even possibly even bring forth as contenders to, to even enter the discussion like off the top of my head i can't think of anyone else even close yeah it's not like being it's not like being in philly or new york or boston you know, where you have you know iconic lots of iconic players through lots of different teams San Diego is a yeah. small area in California. So, yeah, Seau, Fouts, Gwynn, Winfield. I mean, I, even though he went to New York, still Win, Dave Winfield was a significant yeah. noisemaker in San Diego in, in, in his early career. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess if you're going to include Winfield, you could probably include maybe Gene Tennis in the discussion. Um some of the other Padre greats, possibly, but uh, yeah, wow, it's it's a small list, and really, what we're talking about here is the most important figure in the history of San Diego sports. Period. Uh, yeah, I would have to agree. If you look at his memorial outside the stadium, it, it just shows that his the fan base just loves him to death. Um, there were more flowers on his uh, statue than I've pretty much ever seen in my life for a baseball player. I mean, right now. I mean, that was amazing. Well, I think I lost Rob again. We're talking about Tony Gwynn and, and, and his wonderful career. It, Gwynn is the only major leaguer to win four batting titles in two separate decades. He's six times he led the NL in both batting average and hits. That's pretty amazing. Gwynn is also the 11th player to collect 3,000 hits with just one team. That's another thing that's fantastic. You look at Tony Gwynn, and you don't see this very often. It's one of the things that my wife talks about a lot is free agency. She doesn't like the fact that the players get to jump from team to team. Now, that's not my opinion on it, but, you know, it is the common fan's opinion. Why can't my player play for this team his whole life? Well, Tony Gwynn did that, and he made himself Mr. Padre just because of that. He played for one team. He was dominant for that team his whole career up until 2001 when when he did retire. I mean, he's kind of like a Derek Jeter he 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 is uh he's he's played for the same team his whole whole career which is fantastic you, you love the fact that at least there are a few guys still out there that feel that playing for one team their whole career benefits them and makes them a better player a better person and tony Gwynn showed all padre fans 
that he did that. He didn't choose to go and choose free agency, take some more money here and there. He could have probably robbed taking some more money, right? Absolutely. Uh, once again, my apologies for dropping out there. What was the last thing you heard before I ceremoniously was dumped by Skype once again? Well, we were talking about what we were talking about what Tony Gwynn had done, and I, you know, I rattled off a few things: uh, four consecutive batting titles. Um, he, he started in 1994; had not been matched since Hornsby won six straight in 1920. One of the things that I mentioned was that he had six times led the NL in both average and hits. That's just disgusting. And then my final thought before you jumped back in was that he played for one team, and you don't see that very yes. often. And that's one of the things that I, my wife hates sport yeah. is that people jump from team to team because she likes to buy jerseys of her favorite teams and players, and then when right. they leave, she's like, well, I can't wear this anymore. I absolutely agree. Well, I mean, that is the unfortunate downside to free agency in general. Right. I guess we can thank you know, the Reggie Jackson well, contract for that. You know. But the idea is that when you have an iconic player like that, they need to – I mean, can you imagine Cal Ripken finishing his career like in Seattle or something? You know what I mean? No. It's, you, you simply can't. Paul Pierce should have never been traded away from the Celtics, but I get that they were trying to give him his shot at another title. You know, there's just certain players that need to spend their entire career with one team, and, and Tony Gwynn, of course, uh, is one of the all-time classics in that. But I think just before I got kicked off, I was trying to ask you a trivia question, Joel. Oh, another uh, trivia. First, All right. His, his first career hit, Gwynn, came on July 19, 1982, and it was a double, which is ironic because we were talking about the fact that he was Mr. Singles. It was a double against Philadelphia. Do you know who the pitcher was for the Phillies? Oh, Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver ever pitched for Philly? I don't think Oh, did you say Tom Seaver? I thought was ever met. Sorry. <laughs> I can see how Philly sounds like the Mets. <laughs> No, Philadelphia. 1982. Mm. Well, if you get this, I will bow to you. I have no idea. It was Sid Manji. I would have never got that. I would have never got that. But it is his (laughs) first career hit, so it's worth... Now, I looked at his milestone hits. There's a couple players that you'll know, but... The big one was his thousandth career hit, which came less than six years later, and that came against Houston, and it was Nolan Ryan pitching. So he did get a hit off one of the all-time greats. Like I mean, a milestone hit, you know. You know I was he, looking you know, at his career. Over, over four hundred against Maddox. The, yes, he batted over. Yes, I did. Yeah. I mean, the number of players that could make that claim. I mean, you could put on one hand. There was a couple. There was a couple of players, like lesser players, that for whatever reason would hit Maddox well. But I mean, Maddox, of course, in his dominant years, would own everybody, absolutely everybody. But Tony Gwynn would not be had by Greg Maddox. I was looking at Gwynn's all-time highs in every given category, and it was interesting because uh, 1986 he played a career high 160 games and a career high 642 at bats. 87 probably marked his best year ever. Career high 119 runs, 13 triples, 82 walks, 
56 steals. There's that speed we were talking about earlier. And an 8.3 war. All career highs. Um, in and did not win the MVP. 19, in, no, that's, that's correct. That was Andre Dawson that year, wasn't it? Yeah, it in was. In 87? Played yeah, for the Cubs. Andre I think he had like 49, home, yeah. 49 homers. Now, 1997, 10 years later, Tony Gwynn is now 37 years old. Not an old man, but he's getting up there, okay? And he puts up career highs with 220 hits, 49 doubles, 17 homers, his best power year, 119 RBIs, the only time he ever topped 100 RBIs. At age 37, the next year, excuse me, in 1988, he had a career-high 40 strikeouts. Think about that. That's his career worst. In 1984, he was caught stealing 18 times. That's a lot of times caught stealing. In 1994, the strike-shortened season, career-high 394 BA. Now, if he had hit 400 that year, would there be an asterisk because it was a strike-shortened season? I don't know, but that's the closest anyone's come, right? Other, you know, George Brett came close in a full season. He also had career-high 454 on-base percentage, 568 slugging, 1022 OPS. It was his best slash line ever in 1994. Like, wow. I'm just looking at those numbers and absolutely blown away by some of them, you know. But really, the, the age 37 season, that blew me away the most. 49 double 17 homers at age 37? It's amazing. I mean, the guy just continued to hit. Uh, one of the funniest stats that I heard over the weekend or the week was, if you look at his strikeouts from 82 to 2001, you mentioned his highest was, what, 40? In, in 88, there's some guys right now that have struck out 20 times in the month of June. Oh, yeah. We, we, we think differently now. We do, especially yeah. since power's more... Power's more at a premium now in the supposedly in the po- in the supposed post roid era. Uh, I think we're more willing to live with 30 homer, 200 strikeout power than we have ever been, right? Whereas back in the day, there were only a few examples of Rob Deere type examples and Gorman Thomas type Gorman Thomas type examples of players like that, where we would allow a player to flirt with the Mendoza line for the sake of power. Uh, I think we're more willing to see that now a little bit, anyhow. But, you know, wow, the batting eye is just amazing. Anyhow, let's talk about some box scores and wrap this puppy up before I get kicked off again, although I just did plug my hard wire in, so hopefully that'll work. <laughs> um, I'm to kick things off with the Angels-Indians game. Uh, won by the Indians today, 5-3 to three in 10 innings. But the thing is, the Angels look like they had this game, uh, it was 1-1 one, one through 9. The Angels scored 2 in the top of the 10th. Good enough, right? No. Nick Swisher hits a grand salami with two outs in the bottom of the 10th as the decisive blow. A Swisher got stuck in traffic heading to the ballpark, and then he strikes out three times going 0-4 for 4 in his first four at-bats. He's having an awful day, and then he winds up in the hero. Progressive Field, formerly known as Jacobs Field, Seems to have been the host of so many dramatic walk-offs, and now you can add Swisher's blast to the list. That is nine walk-off grand slams in the park's history since it opened in 1994. And when you think about that, that is a hell of a lot in 20 years. Cleveland, of course, has six walk-off wins itself just this season. For the Angels, it was Ernesto Ferreri who blew it. 
third blown save in 14 chances now, and I'd say he's just about toast. Fantasy owners, you need to get on Joe Smith, maybe Kevin Jepson. I think one of those guys, probably Smith, is likely to take over soon. A Swisher has had an absolutely awful year. He's batting 200. He came off the DL last week. He's 3 for 24 since, and one of the other hits is a game-winning homer Sunday. It's all or nothing for Swisher now. Uh, for the Indians, Kyle Crockett earned his first major league win. I'll talk about him a minute in a minute. Mike Trout for the Angels, uh, hitting streak reached 13 games. He has reached base in 36 of 37 and is batting 407 over his last 23 games. I would say uh, whatever sluggish start he had is definitely over. For the Indians, Michael Brantley, as, with a concussion, he missed another game. But good news for his owners. He could take BP tomorrow, and if that goes well, be back in the lineup Saturday. And for the Angels, uh, good news on the Tyler Skaggs front uh, with a hamstring injury. He's going to throw a simulated game tomorrow, so I assume that a rehab start will be not too far in the distance if that goes well tomorrow. For the Angels, Albert Pujols was the hitting star. Two for four, two RBI with a walk. Has his on-base percentage up to 315, 44 RBI in the year now. He was in line to be the hero before Swisher's last. Poole's definitely heating up, though. Has hit safely in nine of his last ten games. Maybe headed for a big second half. Swisher was one for five with a run in the four RBI, of course, with the Grand Slam. Three Ks, as I mentioned. Maintained his 200 batting average with, the, with this performance. Yikes. He's now slugging 329. Wow. It was his fifth homer of the year, 24 RBIs. He's actually gained a bit of fantasy traction recently. This should help things. I keep an eye on him because of his power. But those 10 strikeouts in six games since he's come back tell me another story. He definitely should be owned in AL-only formats, but mixed leaguers might want to simply track him at this point. Uh, for the Halos, C.J. Wilson was a starter in seven innings, gave three hits, one run, struck out six, walked four, uh, worked, he threw 114 pitches, 65 were strikes, lowered his area to 3.34, was pitching on an extra day's rest after yesterday's rainout, his walk rate had actually been better this season, but he wouldn't know it today. Cam Pedrosian took the loss, his first decision of the year. He got just one out on a strikeout, gave up one hit, two walks, charged with three runs uh, as his ERA soared to 14.29. I suspect that this youngster will be headed back to the minors real soon. <clears throat> but the Indians, Justin Masterson was very sharp. Seven innings, four hits, one run, five strikeouts, three walks, had to throw 116 pitches, 66 of them were strikes. He lowered his ERA to 4.75. He has been getting dumped in lots of leagues after taking a beating in Boston, but he's actually pitched well over the last month. I'd give him a second look. Only five homers allowed and 16 starts in 89 innings. Really, the difference for him this year has been difficulty versus lefties. But I think Masterson is pitching much better than the stats indicate lately, and uh, he's a good buy-low opportunity. Scott Atchison took a beating for the Indian Sazier. shoot up to 3.45. He was going to be the GOAT before Swisher got him off the hook. His control has actually been superb this year, and he's enjoying a nice bounce-back season after a down year with the Mets. And finally, uh, Crockett got the win. Great start to his career. He quickly worked his way into an important role in the Cleveland pen, which is five hits allowed in seven games and seven and a third innings. Now has a win to go along with a hold. And I'd like to see better command in the bigs, but based on his video game-like numbers that he had a double-A and triple-A this year, 
I think he bears watching in an AL-only league. This is a fourth-round pick from last year's draft that has reached the majors very, very quickly. Over in the National Over to the National League, it sounded like Rob was going to say, we're going to talk about Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. We had a little bit of a rain delay, but Polanco now owns the longest hit- hitting streak to start a career in Pittsburgh history with nine games. Hashtag Polancomania. Yes, this kid is amazing. I've got to see a lot of Mr. Polanco over the last two months. It has been fun to watch. The kid is going to be good, and you should continue to start him in all formats. If you have an opportunity in Dynasty formats, please, please go out and try to get him. He would be a definite add to your lineup. He will be fantastic, and he will be a guy to watch in the future. Homer Bailey started the game by sitting down the first nine batters, but in the fifth inning, he was hit by a little bit of a line drive. He had a little bit of a problem on the mound with his feet, kind of stuck in the mud a little bit. After that, he kind of got roughed up a little bit. He was pulled 5.2 innings after the rain delay. He had a 92 pitch count, nine hits. He had three, uh, three earned runs, one walk, five Ks. There was no line for him. There was no win. There wasn't even a quality start for Bailey, but he did look good before the rain delay. Now, a guy that I've been really excited about has been very comfortable at the plate, and that is Joey Votto. He looked fantastic today at the, at the plate. He had one hit in four at-bats. He had an RBI. But the comfortability factor is more of the things that we're looking for because after coming off an injury, players take time to get back into major league ready availability, and Votto is definitely starting to feel that. The guy that we're all excited about this season is Billy Hamilton. He got his 29th stolen base of the season. On pace, guys, for 99-plus stolen bases. That's amazing. I mean, we look at him and Dee Gordon, and if you have either one of those on your team, you pretty much wrap up stolen bases every week. If you have both on your team, then you drafted very, very well. Now, for all of you that drafted him, hats off to you, because he was going a little bit too early for my blood, I do not own Hamilton in any league whatsoever because of where he was going in drafts, and I wasn't comfortable drafting them. Now, poo-poo on me because I did not uh, see this hitting coming, and I don't think most people did. Jason Grilly blew a save opportunity for his fantasy owners this season, just his fourth blown of, of the season. Um, it's his, just his 12th appearance since coming off the DL, but the guy that busted it up was a guy that I'm pretty high on in most leagues, and especially in two catcher leagues, is Devin Masarosco. He hit a tying home blast home run shot in the ninth inning. To finish off this game, it was kind of a crazy ending. Tony Stingrani came in after the bullpen had kind of had its way with the Pittsburgh Pirates through 12 innings. We, we, we looked at the bullpen and we said, oh, you know, this is going to be all right. You know, LeCure came in, Para came in, Broxton came in and walked you. They brought Chapman in with one out left in the 10th. They let him pitch the 11th. They brought Sinclani in, who has been struggling as a starter. Well, he continued to struggle as a reliever. Walked three, actually walked two and balked one, and then decided that he was going to walk in Russell Martin, 
who has no fantasy value in my opinion whatsoever. But so we got a walk off walk from Russell Martin and Tony Singrani <laughs> to end this fabulous game at four to three. The Pittsburgh Pirates win over the Cincinnati Reds. Walk off walk, sweet. <laughs> Gotta love the walk off walk. Well, from excitement in the NL Central, we go over to excitement in the AL Central, where Kansas City, of course, as I mentioned off the top, has been so hot that they actually have passed the Tigers and taken over first in a very key series uh, this week. Detroit, though, did manage to avoid the sweep today by edging the Royals 2-1. to one. It took a great effort from Annabelle Sanchez to do it. Kansas City's 10-game winning streak is kaput. The big news from the Tiger perspective today was Joe Nathan striking out the side in the ninth to preserve the win. This was probably the biggest development in this game, 14 save and 18 chances, and apparently looked like his old self. It's just one game, but very encouraging. We shall see because, of course, uh, Nathan has just been, it's been a shit show there for him this year. Detroit is now uh, half a game back with the win to avoid the four-game sweep. Brad Osmus, Tiger manager, has once again apologized for his poorly chosen words yesterday when he joked about beating his wife when the team played poorly. I mean, I find it funny. I get the sense of humor, but most people are not going to get that sense of humor. Uh, Poor choice of words, Brad, so you're going to take a while to live that one down. For Detroit, this was just their 10th win in 30 games. You know, I, I tweeted something actually earlier today, or yesterday, I don't remember, about the fact that Detroit was the best team in baseball through 40 games at 27 and 13 and had gone 9 and 19 since. We'll make that 10 and 20 since now. Wow, what a turnaround. Sanchez for the Tigers did not strike out a single batter. First time in his career that's ever happened. For Kansas City, Alex Gordon out with the flu. For Detroit, Torrey Hunter missed the game, hamstring injury. For KC, Nora Chika Aoki was back after missing yesterday and getting pulled early Tuesday with a groin woe. Showed no ill effects, going two for four with a run, a double. He is now up to 264 with a 326 slugging. Also gunned down Cabrera at second for a double play when Miggy was pretty laissez-faire about getting back to the base. Aoki has been losing ground in fantasy leagues, but he's hit in six straight. I would watch him. He's definitely better than he's shown this year. The number that jumps out at me for Aoki is the zero homers after hitting 18 combined his first two years. He can still help you in runs as long as he is hitting at the top of that lineup. For KC, Billy Butler was two for four with an RBI and a strikeout. Both of his hits were doubles. That's 15 and 16 on the year. He's up to 274, now slugging a disappointing 359, but very popular waiver wire pick lately thanks to a return of his power. He's now slugging 517 in June. You need to pick him up right now. He is poised for a big second half. His on-base percentage is way better than what we're used to. Uh, this, this year, it's, what I'm trying to say is usually his on-base percentage is far better than it's been this year. But he's been scoring runs, so once his game normalizes, I think he'll be a very valuable asset. For Detroit, J.D. Martinez, one for three, struck out once, but hit his sixth homer, a solo shot, now batting 300 and slugging 570. Has a nine-game hit streak in which he is hitting 412, finally getting some attention in AL-only leagues, and deservedly so. I would grab him now. He's struggling with his worst contact rate, worse than usual, but you have to love that power-average combo. 
just 26 years old, and remember how high everyone was on him heading into last season. For the Royals, Danny Duffy took the loss, drops to four and six, seven innings, only three hits, two runs, five strikeouts, one walk, gave up a homer, 101 pitches, 69 strikeouts, a tough luck loss, even though he drops his ERA to 2.8. This dude is finally getting some fantasy attention too, so go ahead and grab him. He gave up uh, the two runs in the fourth, but wasn't touched other than that. That is back-to-back quality starts, and he has really been splendid in June. And for the Tigers, Sanchez earned his fourth win in six decisions with seven innings of work, five hits, one run. As I mentioned, the no strikeouts, very rare, just the one walk. No homers. He's now won four straight decisions and earned wins in each of his last two starts. Only 45 hits allowed in 69 and two-third innings. Wow. And he's gone at least six innings in six straight starts as he has done his part to save the beleaguered Detroit bullpen. Joel, Milwaukee, Arizona, what went down there? This might have been the most – this is the boringest game of the day. There were six doubles, 11 singles, four RBIs, and that pretty much says it all. But Giovanni Gallardo pitched very well. No walks, which is something that we always like to see, Rob. Four Ks and one earned run. He gets his fifth win of the season, and Rodriguez gets his 23rd save of the season, which at the beginning of the season, who saw that coming? Nobody. Batting was very quiet, a couple doubles, a couple RBIs, uh, Gomez, Ramirez, Overbay, and Herrera, which nobody started, in my opinion, in any league because he has no fantasy relevance whatsoever. But the continuing hotness of Carlos Gomez surprises me and makes me very happy. Seeing him hit 312 and continuing to produce as a top-round pick makes me very excited, but surprised, to say the least. Looking at the Diamondbacks, not much going on there. Um, Chase Anderson went six innings, four strikeouts, no walks. His ERA is now at 2.95. He's 5-2 and two on the season. He's about the highlight that they have. Goldschmidt struck out three times and looked terrible at the plate. That Bob, it? Are you there? That's it. Yeah, I am here. That's all they got. Oh, I, that was just that just ended rather suddenly. I was expecting a little drama at the end, but as you said, it was a boring game. Um, hey, just a so couple other boring. items. Uh, so boring, eh? Well, maybe you could have got a nap during that game, there, Joel. <laughs> A couple other items before we go off the air and I get kicked off somehow, even though I did hardwire my router into my laptop. Okay. Um, That time I think BTR actually kicked me off because I didn't go offline. The first two times I actually went offline, so I think it was my router. But this time I did not go offline, so I think it was BTR. Anyhow, whatever. Tyler Kolek is signed with the Marlins. Uh, less than two weeks ago, he was second overall in the draft. Uh, 18-year-old projected to be the next great big, and I do mean big, Texas power righty. Miami's now signed its top five picks in 19 of 42 overall. Kolick was reported to the rookie team in GCL, but has yet to make his debut. Um, hot off the wire, Joel, just read that uh, MLB and the Players Union has decided they've got together they will launch a new summer league in Puerto Rico. Um Saw that starting next year, I guess. Yep, that's very uh, exciting. Yeah, I saw that I saw that come across the wire. 
Um, yeah. I, I hope that maybe someday I get the opportunity to go to that. Usually I hit the fall league. I've been to the California league as well, and I've been to the Mexican league. So, you know, Puerto Rico, I'm on my way. I'd like to go to the Alaskan Summer League. That would be cool. <laughs> oh, no, they've got some good ball there. That's good college ball. It's, it's not quite Cape Cod level, but they get some good prospects up there. And Alaska in the summer is supposed to be really beautiful, so that's on my list. Uh, that's about all we have to throw you. Just a couple of quick items. Uh, Zach Wheeler pitched an absolute freaking gem tonight against the Marlins. Three hits, shuttered eight Ks. Um, what did uh, what did the youngster Andrew Heaney do tonight? He he was playing well, against Wheeler. What do we know about that? Because we were on the air, and that was one of the things uh, that I was going to check was out. One nothing. Okay, so Heaney obviously pitched a gem too. Heaney went six innings, four hits, one run, struck out three, walked one, gave a homer. That's it. 91 pitches, 56 strikes. I would say that's a pretty damn successful debut. He got beat by an even better young pitcher well, right now, Wheeler. That was the future of the game right there, Wheeler and Heaney. Like, I'd say the future of NL East pitching dynamics, uh, dynamos, young dynamos, is very well established in that particular matchup. Great, great. Uh, hopefully those two will be going at each other for years to come. You know, toss in Julio Julio DeHaran and some of the Braves youngsters and a couple, of course, the great Nats teams, all those great pitchers they have. And, you know, uh, Philly ever developed some young pitching? Look out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Very impressive for Heaney. Very impressive outing. Absolutely. Very impressive. Uh, Looks like Chris Archer's having himself a hell of a game tonight as is Ryan Howard. Uh, he's gone yard and actually has a couple hits, three RBIs. Uh, what else is oh, going on? Like oh, my God. Evan Longoria went yard. Oh, surprise. There's oh, a, geez, really? That's a, that's a shocker. He is one away from double digits. Now look out. Look out, people. Uh, Jessica <laughs> Hahn won another game. <laughs> Sorry, Jess. I can't, I can't help it. Jesse on Houston streak has 20th saves. Jim Baker was in the crowd. Are they going to trade? Are they going to trade him? Should they trade him? Houston Street. Houston Street. Well, every year they talk about trading him, and guess who could use him? As always, I mean, he's been rumored to go to Detroit every single year, and then he wants a game. He would be the ideal person to go to Detroit. Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> I swear to God. It makes no sense that they haven't traded him. They're certainly with – he's having a very good year, and he's healthy. That The healthy part for Street, of course, is a huge bonus. So he may as well maximize his value. They've still got Benoit there. He could do the job. They've got plenty of people in their bullpen who could take over, right? Why not? They're not going anywhere. They can't hit their way out of a paper bag. I mean, <laughs> no, they can't. Their team batting average, 180? Like, seriously. <laughs> It was 194 last week. Okay, like you know what I'm talking about. Seriously, it's ridiculous. <laughs> they got all this great young pitching, but every single one of them requires Tommy John surgery, at least one procedure. It's like, what is wrong with San Diego? They can't – I don't know what the hell they're doing in the pitching development, but they need to fire some people down there. 
because <laughs> it's the, the disproportionate amount of Tommy John surgeries that they are going through is over the last say four years is ridiculous. They have all this great young pitching, and none of it is coming to the majors for more than five seconds without getting injured. <sighs> Man, it just makes me shake my head, you know? Because think about all the great assets we can have in, from starting pitchers pitching out of Petco. But you, we can't avail of any of them from a fantasy perspective because they're all on the DL long term. Okay, that's my rant for the evening. Joel, <laughs> uh, what, do you, yes. what do you got to plug for us this evening? Put on your oh, make bag. sure you guys go ahead and check me out on Twitter at Joel Hennard. It's H-E-N-A-R-D. Our website is FantasyInsiderShow.com. A great podcast just put up on Tuesday with myself, Mike Newman from Rotoscouting.com, the great Eric Davis, the Hall of Famer Bruce Suter, and the young prospect Jonathan Singleton. Make sure you guys go check that podcast out. Download it on iTunes. That would be fantastic. Doesn't he just call himself John now? Yeah, no, he calls himself Jonathan, and you have to call him that. Okay, well, did you ask him about his? Uh, did you ask him what kind of weed he likes smoking? No, I did not ask him about what kind of weed he likes smoking. No, did you ask him? Did you ask him what kind of Doritos he likes to eat when he's high? <laughs> no, I, I kept to the basic hitting questions and what he's learned. And okay, the, and the normal. Stuff. Fair enough. That's very astute. That's very wise of you to not burn your bridges. See, this is why people do not come on my show like this. <laughs> oh, it's a pleasure having you as always, Joel. Uh, thank you so much. I apologize for the little technical snafus, but in between we had ourselves a few laughs and a great show, so thank you once again for coming on. Hey, no problem, Rob. Thanks very much. I appreciate it, and you have a great night. All right, we're gonna shut. We're gonna close things off with some Sean Mulrain, and we will be back next week with hopefully less technical glitches. Y'all here? Take care.